This is his word for us. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall, all, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Good morning. Um, I was reminded this morning, uh, I was praying throughout the week, uh, asking God for anointment, for unction in my tongue, and I was reminded uh, that the word of God is anointed, that God's word is holy, his word is sharp and piercing, amen? So with that confidence, I want us to say to each other, look to the person to your left and your right, and repeat after me. Let's live as if the resurrection is real. Let's say that one more time. Let's live as if the resurrection was real. Amen? Let's pray. Father, what we are about to unveil today is glorious and incomprehensible and beyond the reach of our mind. We cannot fathom how glorious your victory over death and sin is. Father, help us understand in this last sermon for the First Corinthians series, help us understand how you have put a period to the end of time and how you desire to cause eternity to unfold from the blood of Jesus Christ. And may all people who find themselves calling out upon the name of the Lord be saved by a mighty salvation to live forever and to look upon death and not be afraid. May KCPC and all of our brothers and sisters here have the final victory which comes imperishable from the cross of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, please work today. I know there is one person that you want to talk to today. I know there's one person who is living as if the resurrection is not real, and you want to reach out to that person to save that person not just from death, but to save that person from a living death as they live in this world, preoccupied with their own mortality and with their shame and with their conscience. Father, I pray that you would set that person free today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's look at the first picture today. This is a 
Roman gravestone. And on it, there is a phrase that is abbreviated NFFNSNC. NFFNSNC. And it translates, because I know I'm going to butcher the、um, Roman pronunciation, I'll just say it in English. It says this I was not, I was, I am not, I don't care. In other words, there was a time I didn't exist, I existed for a short while, now I am dead, and I don't care. That is the statement of Epicurus, who was a hedonist. And in this way of life, we see、um, a nihilistic outlook on life. Because death is real and it is final, I don't care about this life. Now, if you overcome this sense of nihilism, you get something closer to what Steve Jobs said. And he said this Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Almost everything. All external expectations, all pride, all fear, all, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of the reality of death, leaving only what is truly important. And those who are nihilistic, they stick with NFF and SNC. And those who are hopeful and they try their hardest at their best rise to the level of Steve Jobs. And so you have people like, you know, Jack in Titanic. He says, make it count. Every day must count. And then you have Robin Williams, in,、uh, and he says, carpe diem, right? Seize the day. Make it count. London had a bus campaign, a sign that said, God probably doesn't exist, so stop worrying and enjoy your life. These are the two positions that we see nihilism or some form of hedonism where you make the best of what you can. But here's one principle that comes from all of this. If you boil all these statements down, this is what you get. My understanding of the future, my perception of ultimate destiny, changes how you live today. You get that? My perception of what the ultimate end will be changes how I live today. Death is the end, either despair or enjoy. Welcome to the final issue of the church. We are talking about future futility today. Future futility. The Corinthians didn't believe in the resurrection. And Paul spends an entire chapter convincing them that the resurrection is real before closing this letter. That's how important this letter is. The 15th chapter is all about the resurrection. And he's saying if you knew that you would be resurrected, you would not have these issues. Death was a finality that had been agreed upon by Greco Roman philosophy. And because they didn't believe in the resurrection, they continued to, to do all the other seven issues of the church that we talked about so far throughout the two months that we had use of worldly wisdom, fleshly division, and then we have sexual immorality, Christian minimalism, willful blindness, misuse of gifts. It was all because what? Because we can't see beyond death. And we see death as the ultimate finality. But Paul says, and comes from a different direction in chapter 15. In verse 50, he says this Brothers, I tell you this flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. They can't. You're right. 
nor does the imperishable inherit the imperishable. So he's saying, yes, Epicurus and Steve Jobs, they are right. Death is final, but death is certain, but flesh and blood, or in other words, a mere mortal subject to death, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. And so in the least, like Steve Jobs, we shouldn't be focusing on things that won't last. That's kind of the negative application of what Paul is saying. At least don't focus on things that will not last. Amen? Don't focus on things that will not last. But what happens if you focus on things that won't last? Let's look at the video by one of my uh, favorite preachers, Francis Chan. Off the team, whatever. You know, just there's so much instability, so much that we don't understand. A little more volume, please. For me, growing up, it was, uh, a lot of you guys know, my mom died giving birth to me. Then my dad remarried. Then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine. Then my dad got married again. Then my dad died of cancer when I was 12. And so I'm in junior high. My mom's dead. My stepmom's dead. My dad's dead. The only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra. And then when I was in high school, they got in a fight. And my uncle George shot and killed my aunt and then stuck the gun to his own head himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried. We get a little scared. And this is what Christians do. You know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky, and things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay, that was nuts. I don't, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here, and uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to, um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to... Um, you know, I'm not going to let him outside because son has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2% um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life. And then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it and then just go up to heaven. And so you want to die like this, just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge and you go. <laughs> now, if, uh, could you imagine could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know? And some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes. <laughs> what is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. 
That's the routine, the boring. I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, I, that's the routine that they're going to live. And then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, wow, well done. Well done. You lived the safest life possible. You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. I would have done this. I couldn't find a balancing beam in time. But how many of us live our lives like this? Like that. Because death is the only reality we see. Even Christians, because of their uncertainty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and their own resurrection, don't take risks, don't engage in spiritual warfare every day, living by sight instead of faith, right? Seeking comfort, stability, and simple pleasures. If we had a security camera watching us 24-7, wherever we go, what would the observation of that camera tell us about what I believe about my own future? If someone was watching my life, what would that life person conclude about what I believe my future will be? In other words, when you look at your bank account right now, your expenditures, your Amazon order history, your social media accounts, would they say NFF, NSNC, like a gravestone, that it didn't matter? Paul has a brief word for Christians. If you think that death is the end of all things, he says this in verse 15, through, uh, 15 19. Chapter 15, 19, which is not in our text, he says this, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, in this life only, we of, are of all people to be most pitied. If Jesus didn't resurrect, if he didn't rise up from the grave on our behalf, how foolish are we that you could be using this time right now to get some extra sleep? Or you should be on a car driving off to another short uh, local destination to have a trip and a journey. All of the ties that you gave, like it could have been you somewhere else. All the time you could have spent with your family, your children, all you spent here. And we spend all of our lives denying ourselves simple pleasures, basic carnal human pleasures, and we try spiritual warfare, we try to you know, be sanctified, and over and over we, we live that life until we die. And nothing is the answer. It all meant nothing. How poor of an existence do we have if that was the case? So, are we people to be pitied most of all? Can you answer me? Are we people to be pitied most of all? I sense uncertainty. <laughs> Are we people to be pitied most of all? No. Why? Verses 51, 53. Behold, I tell you a mystery. It means not a lot of people know. 
we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. What is this saying? Why is this our hope? There's a mystery, a secret that the world doesn't know. It means the perishable will become imperishable. Let's dwell on this. Let's make logical sense of this. What happens if something that was perishable becomes imperishable? What happens? And what if everything else that was considered imperishable becomes perishable? Let's think about that. That is called a value shift. Paradigm shift. Why? Quick example. The United States had something called the gold standard, right? Printed money would be measured by the value of gold. Printed money would be judged based on how much gold was worth. So if the price of gold was $500 per ounce, that means that $1 would mean that it was worth one five hundredth of an ounce of gold. So what that means is having gold at that time meant stability. That's what the value system was. But now in 1933, the standard shifted from gold to dollars. Now gold is measured in terms of dollars, right? We don't buy an apple and say this this is one three hundredth of of a gold ounce. We say this is two dollars or one dollar. And what this is saying is that there is a value shift that throws, like that, that causes all of society to engage in an upheaval. So, the, imperish- the perishable becomes imperishable. In other words, the basic unit of value has completely shifted. And the other way around. Remember that guy at the early stage of COVID? And we could joke about this right now, but that, it was pretty you know, upsetting at that time. This guy stored 17,700 bottles of hand sanitizer in his garage to sell it because he thought that he could sell it for about $200 each. And he ended up, what? Donating it because the government wouldn't let him sell it at that price. In other words, this was a miscalculation of what would have value in the future. It didn't have value. And so in other words, what he thought imperishable became perishable. Value shifted. What he thought would last didn't. And this is a hugely important principle for today's sermon. KCPT, brothers and sisters, are you sure that what you're doing will last? Are you sure that what you're doing is valuable? Are you sure? What if it's not? What if one day Jesus comes into your lives and he looks at the $17,000 of you know, bottles of hand sanitizer, and he says, wow, but in heaven we all have clean hands. What if he looks at your life, and all the basic measure of value that you have so strived for isn't worth anything? What if it isn't? Our vision of the future changes our life right now. Stock analyzers, if they foresee a certain type of future where a certain commodity will be valuable, their investment patterns changes right now. Christians, if you can't be noble, at least be smart. 
What will have eternal value? For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. There you have what is imperishable. What is it? People. People made in the image of God will be raised imperishable. All the earth will fade away. Your hobbies, your work, your skill sets, all of your relationships, they will fade away, but people will remain. Are you investing in them with the name of Jesus? If you see the ultimate reality as people resurrected and standing before God, either going to hell or either going to heaven, then your patterns and lifestyle must change right now for that ultimate reality. Are you investing in the one thing that will have ultimate value? People, people made in the image of God, they are like the bitcoins that climbed from $0.08 cents to $250 in April of 2013. But people's value will never decline. People are like you know, GameStop early this year, but their value will continue climbing. Are you investing in them? Are you investing in yourself? You yourself will be imperishable. Are you becoming holier every day? Are you seeking God every day to make your life, eternal life, make sense. I'll put it this way, very simple. If you invest in glorifying God through yourself or glorifying God through others, that's a life well lived. And anything apart from that, I'm sorry, anything apart from that is not as valuable as you wish it could be. Only what you do for Christ in service of people and for yourself, will last. Every tear that you shed for a brother to meet and know Jesus Christ as Lord is valuable. And every drop of sweat you, you use to sanctify a sister is infinitely valuable. Every drop of blood shed to fight sin in your life, spiritual warfare in your life to become holier as a response to God's grace is infinitely valuable. So what about 9 to 5, Monday through Friday? Is that causing wealth? And is that, is that an investment that has an actual return in heaven? How we use our 9 to 5? How we use our nightly activities? Our hobbies? Does it contribute to one thing that will not fade away? That is the only reality that matters. We will, we will, we will stand before God. And you won't gather by small groups. You won't gather under the banner of KCPC. You will be naked alone before God to give account of your life. And that's the only reality I see. And I want to be not liable that day because on that day some of you will come to me and you will grab me by my collar and you'll tell me why didn't you tell me that eternal life was real and that living for jesus is important 
Pastor, why didn't you tell me? And you could throttle me all you want, but a life lived has passed away. So I'm telling you right now, we will go before God. We'll stand before him. We will give account of our lives. And the only thing that matters is how we glorify God by believing in Jesus. Amen? Does this sound like bad news to you? Why? Because if you believe in Jesus, the most important thing that you need has been taken care of for you. It's like a high school student studying so hard, studying so hard, but in his backpack, he has an acceptance letter to Harvard with full scholarship. What does that mean? He's studying for joy. You get that? If you have been accepted by God and you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and salvation is yours and all of God's assets and resources and blessings are yours to enjoy, nine to five at work is a hobby. Vocation can become vacation. Amen? (laughs) Really, vocation can become vacation if God is yours. So verses 54, 56, 6. Then the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the immortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying, what, what was said? Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It doesn't work on me anymore. It doesn't produce the fear that it used to have. It doesn't cause the desperation that it used to have upon me to either nihilistically ignore life or enjoy it carnally. Death has no effect on me. So what will ultimate reality be like in heaven or in hell? In heaven, this is what happens. Scripture promises that death will be swallowed up in victory And if the sting of death is sin, and if the power of sin is the law, it means sin and law are both implicated in passing away. It means sin and law are both temporal. They will pass away. What does that mean? Everything associated with that will also pass away. What does that mean? Do you remember in your life the most shameful, guilt, embarrassing, regretful moment of your life? That you often daydream, if you had a, you know, a, a, a time machine, you would want to get rid of that time in your life. That time was birthed by sin. That time was birthed by sin. And you know what? The law. The law like, will pass away. What does that mean? The law causes you to reflect upon the perfection of God. And what the law does is it doesn't give you something to get better at. It points out and indicts who you are. It says, you are a sinner. The perfect law of God is a mirror that shows you how you are sinful. So, what happens if this all passes away? I mean, let's think of the reality of law and sin in our lives. There was a talk show, sorry, where you get increasing amounts of money for answering tough questions about your personal life. And every question, you have a lie detector attached to you. I forgot the name of that show. But here, a woman was getting questioned. 
And she was sitting, and her whole family was there to support her. And she asked so many, answered so many tough questions truthfully. The second to last question was worth $50,000. And she answered the question, this is what it is, have you ever slept with another man while you were still married? And she answered truthfully, yes, I did, in front of her husband. And she got $50,000. And so I'm like, how much worse can this get? And there's a last question, and the last question just blew my mind. That's what it was. For $100,000, here's a big question. Do you believe that you are a good person? Such an easy question, right? Do you believe that you are a good person? And she said this, yes. And the lie detector said no, false. She didn't believe that she was a good person, even though she would proclaim that. Proclaim that. She thought for $100,000 that she was a good person, but her conscience was lying. And here's the thing. All of us are guilty before sin and the law, and our heart knows it. Our conscience knows it. And for, even for $100,000, we couldn't say the truth in front of a lie detector. How much more so when we stand before God. And I look at my life, I look at myself. How can I for the life of me say that I am a good person? Sin has crippled me. The law shows how crippled I am. But one day, here's the miracle. One day I will stand before an all-knowing, all-seeing God naked before him. And he will ask me this. Are you sinless? Are you whole? And I'll look at myself, resurrected. And somehow, somehow, I'll see Jesus in me. Clothing me with perfect righteousness. Everything that I did on my resume replaced by Jesus' resume. That's what it means. And I'll somehow be able to say, yes, Lord, I am whole and perfect and healed. You know what the crazy thing is? If you believe in Jesus, God will agree with you. He'll say, yes, you are. Yes, you are whole and perfect and clean because what? My son Jesus died for you. This is an invitation right now. If any of you have a hurting conscience, if any of you have struggled with morality, and you know that you are guilty before God and your conscience says no while you say yes, this invitation is for you. Christ can make you clean. Like physical death is not the issue. Your moral death, the death of your heart, that's the issue that God has in mind. And Christ heals both. I hope if any of you are watching online and you don't believe in Jesus today, please accept the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you will be healed inside out. Inside out. How is this even possible? That a sinner like me would be saved. How can I say with an upright conscience, I am whole? Verse 57. But thanks be to God. Amen? But thanks be to God who gives us 
the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Repeat this verse after me. This is too powerful to just skip by. But thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He does. Amen. He does. Because victory comes through our Lord Jesus Christ, that's how we're able to say, yes, I am pure and holy before you, God. Wait, wait. How does that make sense? Like, how can Jesus, like his victory over death, his crucifixion of sin and evil in his own body, cause me to be victorious? How does that work? Here's how it works. I remember in 2002, I was in China, and I was watching the Korean World Cup. We were playing against Italy. It was so crazy how 11 people running on the field can grab the hearts of all Koreans, no matter where they were. How could they do that? Like, why are we so invested in 11 people? Because what? In Korean, they're called 대표선수, representatives of Korea. And so no matter where I was in China, I was still victorious. When David fought against Goliath, it wasn't just a one-on-one -on -one battle. David stood for something. Goliath stood for something. David stood for Jesus' victory in Israel. And so when David won, the war was finished. Amen? When David won, the war was finished, and Israel experienced victory. And so it is for anyone represented by Jesus. Amen? So it is for anyone who is represented by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They can say that his victory is mine. His death means the death of your sin. Amen? His resurrection means that you too will resurrect in glory with certainty. He battled death in the grave. He arose victorious from the grave through his resurrection. And all people who are found in Christ, believing in him, get the victory. Do you know that you're conquerors? <laughs> I, I wish I knew you better, but um, because I don't know you better, I could say this more easily. Do you know you're conquerors? And why do you live like that? <laughs> Like, do you know your conquerors? Like, death can't kill you. Then why do you live like that? I talk to, my to myself, like, why do I live like this? If death has no hold on me, sin and shame has no hold on me, what should my life look like? The answer is in, is in the next series. It's called The Joy of the Church. You need joy. Joy is the result of being found invincible in Christ. Now, Paul's final point. Because of the surety of the resurrection, because sin is done and death is done and evil is finished and death is eradicated and Jesus is victorious, now what? Now what? 
because our vision of the future changes how I live today. My vision of value in the future changes my investment patterns today. Now what? How should I live? The greatest therefore in Corinthians. The last therefore. Therefore, verse 58. My beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Amen. Be immovable. Be steadfast, be immovable. And not just passively staying in one place. It says, abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because now that work will remain forever. So steadfast and immovable doesn't mean you're passive. It means you are abounding in the work of the Lord, not your work. Amen? What that means is what you are now doing has eternal value. Why? Because your work your labor is not in vain. The gospel changes everything. I'm sad that this is the last time I'll say it today uh, through this series. But the gospel changes everything. When we look at the chart that I prepared, if you came in, there was a chart outside, and if you ha don't have it, please take it as you leave. This chart summarizes the gospel and its various implications and its applications. Four elements of the gospel, each one has a different implication and a different application. And this solves, believe it or not, everything. The gospel solves everything. It changes everything. I wasn't being rhetorical. Gospel solves everything. It changes everything. And this is not a complete list. There's infinite implications and infinite applications of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there's infinite diseases that it can remedy, infinite issues that it can take care of. But for the purpose of today, we who lived careful, risk-free, fearful lives on that balancing beam, we who are living like that now are called to be what? Steadfast, immovable, but also jumping up and down in the work of the Lord, abounding in the work of the Lord in confidence. Amen? Abounding. Like Jesus' purpose, victory upon the cross, takes away any excuse to be afraid. You know what? Like fear of death, sorrow of sin, the wrath of God even, has been taken away for you to do what? Enjoy this life for God. The most important thing in your life has been solved by grace. Has been solved by grace. And that's how we can abound and work for God because what? I put it this way. I, I, I forgot where I heard this, but this, I wrote this down in my journal over and over again. God knows when I'm going to die. He knows how I'm going to die. And before then, I am invincible. Before then, nothing can Keep me from fulfilling the work of the gospel that God has given to me. And so should it be with you. You are invisible until God calls you home, abound in work. Abound in work. If you watch tightrope performances, like high up tightrope performances on like the circus, like people are amazing. They jump up and down, they do backflips. They, you know, juggle things on a unicycle on that small piece of rope, suspended 50 meters in the air or 25 meters in the air. And they're amazing. But here's the thing. 
They're able to perform crazily because what? They have a safety net. And if you took that safety net away, their performance might look like this. Like, like this. Like how we live our lives. But the safety net is Jesus Christ himself. He says, I took care of everything you're afraid of. I took care of death and sin and evil, so dance. Perform. Celebrate. Like, what are you doing? Like, like there's a safety net. The gospel of Jesus Christ that we summarize in that chart is your safety net. Amen? You can fall. It's okay. You can fall and get back up. You don't have to be afraid of death, even. All the difficulties in this world, if you believe in Jesus, are filtered through the hands of a loving Father, and they have been placed upon you because it's meant to grow you, because you are infinitely valuable. God has placed people next to you because they are infinitely valuable. And so nothing to fear, nothing to lose. I already have everything I need in the cross. Therefore, let's live. Jesus wants us to live according to his word, an abundant life. Abundant life. Not cased in by fear and trembling. He wants us to live an abundant life. And the gospel of the imperishable victory of Jesus takes care of future futility because the resurrection is real and everything until then Jesus has taken for us. So Christian, if you ever lack strength for the fight, I read this and I try to memorize this as much as I can. Acts 20.24, which is my wife's favorite verse. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Amen. Nothing else is valuable but if you live out your life testifying to the grace of God. That will last. Grace team, please come up. The only valid response to the gospel is a life lived to the full for God. Amen? Not Christian minimalism. Not afraid. The only valid response to all of this, because the gospel changes everything, is a life lived to the fullest. Let's stand and read this short poem together. You could put it up there. Let's read it all together. We'll read it twice so that it can engrave itself into your heart and mind for the glory of God. Let's read it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. One more time. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Amen? Really, amen? Lord, you heard. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. As we finish this series on the issues of the church, we come to discover that these are issues in my own heart. 
It's not just the church, it's me as the church that suffers the issues of worldly wisdom and sexual immorality and Christian minimalism and spiritual blindness and future futility. But Father, we thank you that the gospel changes everything. We are beneficiaries of the cross. Jesus, you did everything for us. The response to the sermon, I pray, Father, wouldn't be a heavier conscience. It wouldn't be more strained living out of fear, trying to be more careful, trying to make sure that what I do is ultimately valuable, although that's a good application. Father, ultimately, I want you to give them joy beyond joy. Father, give them an imperishable victory that causes them to have the engine to live this life without fear so that all that they do would naturally have eternal value. Father, are we spending too much time on Netflix? Are we spending too much time on YouTube? Father, turn that into time spent glorifying and thanking you. Engaging in spiritual warfare to sanctify myself and to serve my brothers and sisters in the gospel so that all things that we considered perishable a body subjected to mortality would now become imperishable and infinitely glorious before you. May my life, may our lives have that kind of meaning, Father. So, Father, we live, leave this room convicted, convinced, but ultimately joyful, knowing that you gave us a better life that we don't have to fear, that we can live all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.